Hello, everybody, and welcome to No Middle Madness, a podcast about Texas Tech basketball. It's episode 10. We've hit the decade mark, and we've got a really fun and a really special show planned for you all. Um, As you now know, the regular season for Texas Tech is over. They closed it out with a big loss to Baylor in Waco. So, Emory, your prediction was not right. Mine wasn't right either, but I did get Baylor winning correct. And since then, the conference has announced their award winners. And so what we figured we would do is we would go through and we would make our selections and who we think deserved to win the awards in our eyes. So what we're going to do, we'll get into this in a little bit, um, but we're going to essentially give you three players that we think deserve to be finalists for the awards. And then we're, of course, going to make our selections and then also denote who we think should have made the all Big 12 teams, but that's all in the future, and you'll be listening to that quickly. For now, let me introduce my co-host who joins me every week, Emery Lida. Emery, how are you? Well, I've graduated past the point of um, having nightmares about Macy Ochi dropping threes in transition, but uh, still kind of feeling the effects of that Baylor loss. That was um, kind of painful for my ego to get that pick wrong I was so I was actually I gained confidence in it over the course of the week to where I was pretty comfortable that Tech could at least make it a really close game and it looked promising Kyler had a really good half and Tech was in the game and then unfortunately Baylor had one of the most ridiculous shooting games that I've seen all year so it could be better but I'm excited to kind of delve into these awards and talk some Tech basketball and Big 12 basketball in general again. Yeah, generally when you have an opponent make 10 threes in a game, it's usually not a good sign that you're walking out of there with a W. But it is what it is. The regular season is now over. Tech is on the heels of the Big 12 tournament. We'll preview that in a little bit. But first, as we mentioned, it's time for our award. Let's look into it. Obviously, the biggest award is the Player of the Year. And I think this is actually probably the award that received the most controversy this year. Um, The Big 12, I guess I should preview and say that the people who vote on these awards are the head coaches in the league. Um, So that's who made the actual selections for the Big 12. And the winner of the award was Cade Cunningham from Oklahoma State, which a lot of people, specifically a lot of Tech fans, didn't seem to appreciate, as I don't think they've appreciated the coverage of Cade Cunningham this season and how much Fran Fraschilla enjoys watching him. I personally think Cade is awesome, and I think he's the best number one overall pick we've seen in a long, long time. And I do think that he'll be something special, and he's definitely worthy of all the attention. But was he worthy of the Big 12 Player of the Year award? Well, that's what we're here to discuss. And so I'll go ahead and give you my three finalists that I had for the award. I did have Cade Cunningham on there. I just felt like that was an easy pick. And then joining him was Jared Butler, who was the guy that a lot of people said should have won the award over Cade. And then third, maybe a little bit of a surprise pick. Don't want to sound too biased, but it is what it is. And my third pick is Mac McClung. I just think the impact that he had for Texas Tech was profound. Finished second in total scoring in the Big 12. And I mean, just an overall really productive season. But... I am going to go ahead and nominate Cade Cunningham as my Big 12 Player of the Year winner. 
I just don't think that Oklahoma State would be anywhere close to where they are without him. And I guess I should also preface this by saying that Emory and I may have different uh, criteria on how we uh, awarded these honors, and that's okay. Emory and I did not discuss beforehand how we were going to nominate selections, and I think that makes it more fun because we will probably be disagreeing very outrageous takes later that I do feel confident in. But yes, Cade Cunningham is my Big 12 Player of the Year. I mean, he played phenomenally. Obviously, the turnovers were an issue, but that's kind of what happens when you're playing with such a high usage rate. Emory, do you agree or do you disagree with me, and who are your finalists? All right, well, I'll just say this for one for one on disagreeing. And my three finalists are, I've got two of the three, same as you. I think it's got to be between Cade Cunningham and Jared Butler as the top two picks for Conference Player of the Year. And my third finalist was Deuce McBride out of West Virginia. I think his improvement, and I'll get into this, preface this later by saying he might be coming up later. But his improvement on both ends of the floor, both as a point of attack defender and as a facilitator for that West Virginia team in conference play was incredible. And I think that out of all of the primary options outside of Baylor and Oklahoma State, McBride kind of stood out to me as probably the most well-rounded. As for my conference player of the year selection, I'm going to go with Jared Butler. Now, I think going forward, Cape Cunningham is the better player. I think he was the more talented player and probably had more kind of bright spots this year in terms of how he played in big 12 play. But I just think Butler's efficiency and playmaking and defense were all incredible. He shot 44% from three in big 12 play, had a very good assist to turnover ratio, averaging over five assists a game, had a true shooting percentage in the sixties, had one of the highest steal rates in the conference for a player with as many minutes as he got. And to top it all off, he had the role of being the primary initiator for probably the best offense in college basketball through conferences and outside of maybe Gonzaga. So I look at Butler and I'd say like his all-around impact was incredible. And obviously Cade had that impact as well, but Cade's team wasn't quite as good. You could say that there were a couple of maybe negative points that you could look at. You can say that his turnover percentage was pretty high and as a whole, Oklahoma State at times would kind of struggle in games with Cade kind of maybe being a little bit too passive at times. And then as well as that, there were times where they genuinely played better when he was off the court. An example of that would be in the Tech game when he had foul trouble and Oklahoma State kind of went on a run. And I should say that this has nothing to do with how I impact or how I view Cade as a prospect going forward or how I even view him as a player this year. But they're all just kind of points that I see as – to me, Jared Butler was the best all-around player and had the greatest impact on winning this year in conference play. Yeah, for me, it was definitely like almost a coin flip between those two guys. Obviously, Cade and Butler were the two best players in the conference by far. I like the McBride pick. I did think that that third slot could kind of be rotated between a couple of guys. Um, but I definitely, I see where you're coming from uh, with Butler, and I can definitely get on board with that pick because I do think that he was so impactful. Mainly my line of thinking for picking Cade was just that I can't imagine what this team would have looked like without him. Whereas Baylor, I do think that they still have two all Americans on the roster, which makes it a little bit easier to cover up the impact that he would have had, um, had he not 
came back to the team and would have stayed in the draft. But Butler is definitely an deserving recipient of your award. Obviously, I'm sure he will take high, high praise with that and frame it on his wall, saying that he was the Emory Lida Big 12 Player of the Year winner. Now, it's time to get into Sixth Man of the Year. This is kind of a fun award um, because I think that this year in the Big and bench pieces. Um, obviously, the actual winner was Kai Jones out of Texas. Uh, he played really, really well for them. Uh, just kind of continued to evolve into a very rare player as the year went on. Uh, just shooting threes, playing really versatile defense, kind of blocking shots at times. He can move quick on the perimeter. He was a really impactful player, and I definitely have him as one of my three finalists. And joining him, I have Terrence Shannon Jr. from Texas Tech. Obviously, Shannon wasn't a bench player for the entire year, uh, but for the majority of conference play, he was. And, I mean, he was that sixth starter for Chris Beard, and I think he played a really big role. And then for my final uh, finalist for sixth man of the year, I have Adam Flagler out of Baylor, um, transfer player, um, who played really, really well for them at the beginning of the season kind of tapered off as the year went down. I actually think it was that his production just kind of started to decrease, but I do think that his performance at the beginning of the year was definitely worthy and he was still good for nine points per game. Um, So definitely an interesting player who had to overcome some issues, you know, with his size and other things of that. But all that to say, I am going to crown Terrence Shannon Jr. as my sixth man of the year. I do think that his impact, maybe it wasn't as profound as a guy like Kai Jones because Chris Beard's rotations are so weird. I mean, we would see Terrence Shannon check into the game, you know, a minute into the quarter and he would be out there with all four starters. So maybe not necessarily, you know, a true bench spark um, because he's still playing with four out of the five starters. But I do think that, um, just allowing him to come off of the bench and kind of letting him be that spark was huge. And I think he felt that only was he one of the best bench players in the in the conference, but I think he was just generally one of the 15 best players in the conference. And we'll get into that in a little bit. But Emery, are we 0 for 2 on agreeing? We are now 1 for 2. And ironically enough, we had the exact same three finalists. Um I as well went with Kai Jones, Terrence Shannon, and Adam Flagler. And I think really for me what this came down to was how much emphasis do we place on team success and how consistent were they in conference? And it's, it's really an inexact, inexact science with both Flagler and Shannon because I think both of them kind of went through either injury deals or COVID deals that kind of maybe hampered some of their success at points, but you look at Shannon's overall impact and um, and kind of being a lead scorer averaging over 12 points per game. And there were points in Big 12 play where it looked like he was going to be headed closer to that 15 points per game where he kind of got influenced by injury. And you also look at Kai Jones. And I think the one thing that kind of keeps him back is the fact that he only kind of went, he only went seven to 22 from three in conference play And his offensive impact was more limited through the conference season as opposed to um, the early part of the season where it certainly looked like he was on en route to being certainly an all-Big 12 caliber player. 
and same deal with Flagler kind of tapering off towards the end part of the season. So I think those three were definitely the three finalists, but I had to go with Shannon just because I think his overall impact for Tech, both, both offensively as an initiator and then defensively, there were points in the year where he took on primary, primary ball handler defensive assignments and then also points of the year where he was crucial in kind of shoring up the defensive rotation. So I just... I mean, obviously, Shannon's probably not a true bench player in his role because he plays so much with the starters, but I would just see, I mean, for me, TJ Shannon's kind of the obvious pick here in terms of his overall impact and how he can consistently was able to help Tech through the year. And I think that kind of brings me to the next award section, which would be the really one of the more interesting ones, which is most improved player, which I find to be a fascinating award and I think with that you kind of have to look at um, kind of a player that came into the conference last year or had been playing in the conference that really stepped up their game through this year that had kind of demonstrated impact. I think for me with this award I was looking for players that kind of really took on either a leadership role or took on a primary scoring role with their team and I ended up going with my three finalists being Deuce McBride, David McCormick, who actually won the award in the coach's decision, and Davion Harmon from Oklahoma. And I ended up picking Deuce McBride for this one. Um, really, I think all three of those candidates were close. And I'm, I'll be curious to see how you viewed this one. But I looked at Harmon kind of turning into better primary ball handler, especially when Austin Reeves had his COVID spell. I look at how um, David McCormick kind of developed throughout the year as a solid offensive piece after maybe a rough start to the year in terms of how he was able to play and fit in with that unusually small Kansas lineup. And also on, um, on Deuce McBride's side of things, I already mentioned earlier how much he improved his three-point percentage, almost 15%, and how he went along with his – or how he improved his assist-turnover ratio and his defense in general. And so with that said, I did pick Juice McBride as my winner, the most improved player. I'm curious to see what you think and see kind of, A, how much of the dissension do we have in our criteria? Because I know this is one where you can kind of have different viewpoints on how you quantify improvement. And then B, to see if you went with McBride or if you went some somewhere else with your mind in terms of who you picked on this one. Yep, you're exactly right about kind of how this award has some strange criteria and how we consider it. And my opinion on this award has actually changed over the past few months, which is ironic because last year, I mean, just in general NBA coverage, I was kind of one of the, that that sounds really like braggy and kind of like tacky to say this, but like I was kind of one of the first people to like start campaigning for Luka Doncic to be considered for most improved player. And like, because he had made tremendous jumps in statistical categories. Like Pascal Siakam had won it the year before, and Luca was having like similar, if not better, jumps in like measurables. And so I did think that he deserved some recognition. But now going over the past few months, I've just kind of wanted to shape this award around somebody who maybe wasn't that good uh, a season before and has turned into a contributing player. So, I mean, for you... Like, and your criteria, Deuce McBride is a great pick because, I mean, he was averaging, I think, like five less points per game last season, maybe a little bit more. 
And I mean, at times this season, he looked like a star. I mean, he kind of had to transform his role on this West Virginia team, obviously with the big O leaving, they kind of changed their entire offense and he adapts so well. So that's definitely a great pick, but he didn't even make my top three finalists just because the way I defined the award. So I did have David McCormick on there, the actual winner. And I had Kai Jones, um, had some good jumps, maybe not as much as other guys, but I do think that his kind of development into a reliable player and like, and maybe a top 20 pick in the draft was a huge jump. Christian Braun. And I think this was like maybe one of my first like kind of spicy, spicy picks. But I do think that like, we we watched bronze development happen throughout the season and essentially bill self um telling the media that like he wanted braun to score more and he wanted braun to shoot more and we saw that happen i mean braun kind of got a green light and he had some really big games this season where he helped kansas win games uh but all that said i did end up picking the coach's vote david mccormick um who unfortunately won't be in kansas city this week due to covid-19 protocols um, I hope he's okay. I hope he gets to make it to Indianapolis. Um, obviously, it would just be a huge loss for Kansas and such an unfortunate thing uh, for him to miss that opportunity. Um, so I hope he's well. But I do think that McCormick just kind of exploded halfway through the year and just transformed this Kansas team. Because, I mean, this this Kansas lineup is so weird, and a lot of it didn't work. I mean, like, Marcus Garrett wasn't really the primary ball handler that you were hoping for. And then, I mean, you just ran that with, like, some giant wings. Like, you played, like, Marcus Garrett with, like, Christian Braun and Jalen Wilson and then Ochai Abaji. And then, like, all of a sudden, midway through the season, McCormick comes along, and he just starts to anchor them down low. And he played some really, really good basketball down the stretch. Um, so that's who I that's who I crowned as the winner. Obviously, another disagreement for us, but I do think that McCormick just had such a good season. Yeah, I think in general, kind of how you view most improved is a very loose term because I feel like the deal with McCormick for me wasn't so much his improvement in terms of like raw numbers, but it was more so kind of mid-season, his ability to kind of change his fit almost. He became a much more... I'll say efficient player, but he certainly he made it to where his looks really fit in with how Kansas's roster was constructed, which was really kind of lacking that primary ball handler and having to play really kind of everything out from the perimeter because of their inability to drive effectively and have kind of a really set offense like they did last year with Devon Dotson. So I think McCormick finding a way to kind of diversify his role and really kind of give them an anchor offensively, and I think defensively improved over the course of the year as well. Um, that's just something that I see. Certainly why he was one of my three finalists. Again, I think McBride's ability to stay, kind of to develop himself as a primary ball handler and a real, almost a superstar in that West Virginia offense mid-year is something that really impressed me because coming into the year, he was probably the third best player, according to most people on that roster behind uh, Oscar Sheboy and Derek Colfer and West Virginia kind of evolved in the mostly perimeter oriented team throughout the year and I don't think they would be anywhere near as good without McBride and even though the numbers the numbers jump for McBride might not be as severe as it has been in, as you would see for a lot of guys in recent memory like that would be considered for a most improved player award I think the way that he was able to play 
really opened up West Virginia in being able to develop into a more perimeter-oriented team and being really dangerous from three. Yeah, McBride is definitely a good pick. And I mean, like you said, this West Virginia team would not look the way they do if he did not make the leaps that he did. So obviously a great season for him and for David McCormick uh, and all the other finalists that we had listed. Now it's time for another one that I think is really difficult. In fact, this one might be more difficult to award um, than most improved player because there's just so much different ways and perspectives that you can look at this. And that's the Defensive Player of the Year award. Uh, The actual winner was Davion Mitchell from Baylor. I think he averaged just under two steals per game. Obviously just one of the best on-ball defenders in maybe the country, like just watching him and what he does, even when it doesn't result in an opponent turnover, it's just insane what he can do when he's on defense. But there are so many ways that you can look at defense. Obviously, you know, you can look at, did they have a lot of steals? Did they have a lot of blocks? Or am I just picking based off somebody being a really good uh, on-ball defender and off-ball defender, even when it doesn't result in impact? So this is where things get a little bit spicy for me and I'm going to go off the rails a little bit. And I'm 100% certain that we will not have the same winner here, but maybe, maybe you'll prove me wrong, but I highly doubt it because I think that this pick is probably the spiciest one I have. And it also will definitely be subject to criticism and I welcome it. But my three finalists were Kevin McCuller from Texas tech. I do think that if McCuller played, the whole season that he would be easily uh, right near the finalists for this award. I mean, it's going to be hard to top Mitchell um, in, in the coach's eyes at least, but I mean, what, what K-Mac does on the defensive end, blocking shots, getting steals, and then just being such an elite on-ball defender. I mean, it's really hard to replace and I just couldn't leave him off my list personally. And then I also have Gabe Osaboyan from West Virginia. Um, I know that I saw you giving him some love for making the all-defensive team on Twitter. I mean, he was great at times this season. And then for my third finalist, I have Cade Cunningham from Oklahoma State. And as I saved that for last, you can probably guess that Cade Cunningham is my winner for defensive play. I just think that what he did for this Oklahoma State team in terms of his like versatility was huge. I mean, Oklahoma State played a zone at times, and so his defensive impact got lost a little bit. But at times this season, I've been like grinding like Big 12 games uh, from this season lately. I've just been like churning them out and trying to watch ones that I didn't. But there have been multiple instances where Cade gets some run as like a small ball five, and it kind of works for them. I just think that Cade is such a stretchy player and it's so weird to watch what he does and how coach Boynton uses him Um, but I really really liked the way that Cade played defense at times this season obviously his lack of athleticism is is hindering him and it probably will continue to hinder him at the next level and by no means do I think he's as good of an on-ball defender as Davion Mitchell but I do think that the stats and just kind of the impact that Cade had I mean, it earned him the the award in my eyes. He's the first player with 30 steals and 20 blocks in the Big 12 uh, since Jarrett Culver. So that tells you a little bit about his defensive impact. But Emery, I know you're big on all ball defense and all fall defensive impact. 
and I'm, I'm sure you're going to disagree with this this pick. Do you? I actually do not really disagree with the pick. I think it's a very nice way to view defense. Like kind of, I actually was discussing this on Twitter earlier. Kind of, I mean, I've been an absolute advocate for the last few days about how underrated I think Mark Vidal and Gabo Savoyan in particular are on the defensive end because of their kind of positional versatility and ability to play different roles in different systems and also have huge off-ball impacts. With that said, I did not go that far out of the box with going with Cade Cunningham. I went for my three finalists for Defensive Player of the Year. I had Davion Mitchell, who won in the coach's eyes. And again, it's another one where I've said for a while, I personally have him above Marcus Garrett as an on-ball defender. I mean, I think it's close between the two, but I feel like Mitchell's kind of, Mitchell makes, to me, less mistakes. He's a better positional defender in terms of keeping a good stance, and he's able to have those high steal numbers without being really an excessive gambler, which a lot of times you'll see. I think of a guy like Ashton Higgins last year. That's someone I looked at as his steal numbers were high, and people saw him as a really good on-ball defender, but he took a lot of gambles and got beat quite a bit as a result. Um, So that's what really impresses me about Davion Mitchell. My second defensive pick was Mark Vidal, and I think at this point everyone should know just how incredible a player Mark Vidal is, really on both ends of the court, but specifically defensively. His ability to understand space around him, be able to switch on basically four to five different positions and find ways to really at times make up for teammates' mistakes and get offensive players out of rhythm is something that doesn't really show up in the stat sheet. But to me, the thing about Mark Vidal isn't so much the hustle or the like pure the like pure block or steal numbers that you might be looking at, but it's really just kind of his positioning and versatility, something that's very impressive. And along the same lines for me, Gabe Osaboyan is a very similar defender, maybe not quite to the consistent level of Mark Vidal. And he certainly doesn't quite get the minutes or the attention that Vidal does. But I think Osaboyan's versatility this year is something that people really haven't grasped onto, to be honest. Like it's kind of something that's gone under under the radar, in my opinion, throughout the year um, when watching West Virginia. Um, and I also think real quickly, I have to give a shout out to two guys that I did consider for this award, but ended up not even going with them on the defensive team, just because I think at the end of the day, we have to look more on the on-ball line, just kind of with the way that this award is given out. And that would be Kyler Edwards one and Cade Cunningham two, because I do think both of those guys are really good at playing different roles. I think in general, the name of the game here is kind of showcasing the underrated value of versatility and especially off-ball defense and tracking. Because I still think, to me, the two best games this year that I saw on the defensive end were Kyler Edwards against Oklahoma State and then Cade Cunningham all the way back at the start of the season against UT Arlington. Because I saw both of those games as games where the player didn't, like Cade and Kyler didn't really have like the counting stat impact in either of those games. But if you watch the defensive end, they covered up for so many of the mistakes made off ball by teammates. I think 
to your point earlier about Cade's versatility, that was something that really impressed me when I first watched this season. That was all the way back at the start of the year, was Cade's ability to kind of make up for mistakes made by his teammates and almost kind of impact the game single-handedly just based off his off-ball understanding and IQ. But with that said, I did take Davion Mitchell as my defensive player of the year, kind of the chalk pick, because I think his primary ball handler defense is really good. It's point of attack defensive ability. Like I said, I think it's at least top two in the country. And I would say that with the amount of emphasis Baylor puts on having Mitchell guard, usually the best player for the opposing team, the it's one of those years where primary ball handler defense, a point of attack defense is really important, even though maybe I still really value versatility. I do think that there's something to be said for just how good Mitchell was. I know it's maybe the boring pick, the chalk pick, but I do think it needs to be recognized just how good Davion Mitchell Mitchell is as a point of attack defender. No, I don't think it's a it's a bad pick or like an, an easy pick at all. I mean, Mitchell played phenomenal this season. I, I like what you said about uh, just kind of staying grounded and not being a gambler. I, I definitely agree with you that he outperformed uh, that he outperformed Garrett this year because I mean Garrett is is kind of like a swiper and he tends to do that. He tends he tends to like really go for the measurable steals. And I mean Mitchell, he just doesn't have very many lapses. I mean not not when he's off the ball, not when he's on the ball. He just played phenomenal at times this season. Um, so I definitely do think that pick is a great one, and I think that he will be in the Defensive Player of the Year award just because of how profoundly good he was. So let's go ahead and crown our Newcomer of the Year before we take a short break. Obviously, Mac McClung won the award. It was unanimous. Um, That's pretty easy to do when you have a transfer come in and finish second in the league in scoring. Obviously, McClung was one of my finalists. I also had Jalen Wilson on there um, as a red shirt. He does uh, qualify for a newcomer because he was a red shirt last season, played a total of two minutes. I mean, Wilson is such a good player, man. He's going to be something really special, probably a really good uh, draft pick by the time it's all said and done. Maybe not lottery, but he could work himself into the first round discussion. And then I also had Jalen Coleman lands transfer from DePaul. Um, I know that winning is kind of a big part of the the award criteria. So maybe crowning a player from a team that didn't win a single best idea. But it is hard to imagine what this Iowa State team would have looked like um, without Jalen Coleman lands, especially when Rasir Bolton went down. I mean, they would have been getting beat by like 40 each game. But I really like the way he played. I think he played really good basketball this season. And I think he's... I don't know how much eligibility he has left because he had some weird years at DePaul. In fact, he might be a grad transfer. Um, But, I mean, this was an easy pick for me. This was Mac McClung all the way. Um, I don't think either of us have been particularly hesitant to voice our just critiques in terms of his efficiencies or the mistakes he makes, but that's good. That means that we're unbiased participants. And I'm going to guess that you had Mac McClung as well. Yeah, I mean, look, I'm, I sometimes probably even go a little bit overboard with how I've critiqued Mac McClung at times. Um, but for this award, there really wasn't much competition, so to speak. I mean, McClung really played exceptional as a 
lead initiator for Tech's offense. And to be quite honest with you, I think you could have, McClung could have set out the rest of the year after his first seven or eight Big 12 games, especially the stretch from Texas to West Virginia, where he put up 22, 24, and 30 on good efficiency and probably would have had enough um, resume through that, through those wins and through his ability to kind of score through the first part of the Big 12 season. I think he would have won that award just off of that. Um, but I do think the other two guys that I had as finalists for this award were Jalen Coleman-Lands, like you had from Iowa State. Um, Coleman-Lands to me is really interesting is an interesting case because he shot 40% from three. Obviously the deal with Coleman Lance has always been, he's very much kind of a spot up guy. And as well as that, he can take some bad shots, but he still was a very good initiator for the Iowa State offense. And even though they didn't win games, I never really felt like it was because he was a negative player. And I think as well as that Coleman Lance, I mean, if you look at his impact in the conference, he still managed to have a positive VPN despite how bad Iowa State's defense was, which typically doesn't happen. Um, when a player has to play in a defense that's that negative, it usually drags down their overall BPM. And then, I mean, his three-point efficiency was incredible. And then in terms of the third finalist, I went ahead and went with Umocha Gibson from Oklahoma, which is kind of a little bit of a surprising pick. But he's a transfer, came in this year, and I think during conference play, he really stood out. He had a... 6.5 BPN. He shot over 40% from three, and he actually made 41 three-point field goals, which put him in, inside the top 10 for the conference and was more than someone like Kyler Edwards. And to top it all off, I think he had a really good kind of, you know, good emergence towards the end part of the season in showcasing more ball handling ability. And I think that that's something that you look, you look at going forward and that, and going into the next year so that's something that Oklahoma could really use because he's only a junior um yeah I have Mac McClung winning this award and it really wasn't all that close um but I do think Gibson and Coleman Lance are worthy of recognition and to answer your point about Coleman Lance he's actually if he comes back next year it would be his sixth season of college basketball because he transferred from Illinois in 2017 so that actually, it would be a six-year playing, seventh year overall. And to put things in perspective, he was recruited back in 2016. So he was recruited the year before Zaire Smith and Jarrett Culver came to Lubbock, in case you wanted to feel a little bit older today. That's wild. I did not know that he had been playing for that long. I knew it had been a while, but I did not know it was for that long. Um, I do like the Emoja Gibson pick, obviously transferred from North Texas. He shot the lights out uh, when Alabama was on that midseason tear. Um, that's a good pick. I, I should have had him on there as well. But Jalen Wilson for me, um, I just I just really buy the upside. So we are going to take a very quick break. We are going to crown the final individual award, which will be very easy to do. And then we will give our all Big 12 teams and then give you a short preview of the conference tournament. All right, we're back. We just wrapped up talking about our newcomer of the year, who we both awarded Mac McClung for. Now it's time to talk about another group of players that could also be considered newcomers. And those are the freshmen, freshmen of the year, 
the actual winner was Cade Cunningham. In case you had any doubt that a freshman would beat Cade Cunningham for the award after he won player of the year. Um, Cade was obviously the best freshman in the conference this season. He's who I chose and it's who I imagine you chose. For my two finalists, I think this is probably the second time that we'll have the same slate. I had Mike Miles from TCU just fit into that role really well. Um, Played some really good ball next to RJ Nimhart. And I mean, the future with him is looking bright. If he can develop into as consistent of a player as he was this season, um, they're going to have something special. He's obviously got to figure out ways to compensate for the negative that he is defensively, but played some really good ball this season, shot the ball really well. And I really liked his game. And then my third pick is Nigel Pack from Kansas state. Man, they, they need something to be excited about in Manhattan and hopefully Pack is that. But I mean, far and away, Kate, Kate is an easy pick for me. How about you? Yeah, first off, I want to say that Nigel Pack getting snubbed from the all big twelve team or the all big twelve freshman team in favor of Jalen Bridges has to be one of the biggest snubs that I can think of this year. And that's with no disrespect to Bridges, but I just think Pack was in all honesty, probably Kansas State's best player the entire year and took on a lot of assignments as a primary ball handler that I don't really think he was necessarily comfortable with. But he was able to kind of adapt and continue to showcase genuine improvement and just a really cool offensive um, ability in terms of just being able to shoot effectively and create shots for others. I think I'm excited to see what Pat can do going forward. Same thing goes for Mike Miles. Like you said, I think there's a little bit that he needs to figure out on the defensive end. And I do think his shot maybe started to fall away just a little bit at the end of the year, whether that be because of fatigue or because of injury, we won't know. But I do think that going forward, Miles' ability to create his own shot and be just a lethal shooter is something that TCU fans can be excited about going forward. And I'm sure Jamie Dixon will be as well. All that to say, Cade Cunningham is the easy choice here. Um, I don't even think – I think I could have told you that at the beginning of the year. Short of injury, Cade was going to be freshman of the year. I do think – I mean, if someone's outright going for conference player of the year, it should be kind of evident that they're probably going to win freshman of the year. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Cade had an outstanding year, and I don't think that it's really fair to Miles or Pack to even really compare them to Cade in terms of, like, what did Cade do better or worse than them? Because I think the reality is they're kind of running their own race. I think both of them are going to be outstanding Big 12 players over the next year or two. But yeah, not even close for me. Yeah, Cade is, Cade is an NBA player right now. And not only is, is he an NBA player, but he's going to be the first overall pick in the draft. So he's really just in a different stratosphere right now. Um, but obviously, great seasons by those two guys. And I mean, I wonder when the last time the the freshman of the year was recognized on senior night because that's what they did for Cade. Um, obviously assuming that he will be a one and done prospect and doesn't decide to come back to Oklahoma state. Um, but maybe he will, maybe he wants to clean up his turnovers or something. That would be the surprise of the century. All right. Now it's time to get into our all big 12 teams. These, these are where it gets fun. Um, obviously, you know, You've got to try and pick five guys and make them fit. And I think that this took some research for me. And I'm still not super confident on all of my picks, but I do 
some ones that I like. So the all Big 12 first team, it's five of the best players in the conference, obviously. Um, Jared Butler from Baylor, Davion Mitchell from Baylor, Austin Rees from Oklahoma, Kate Cunningham from Oklahoma State, and Derek Culver from West Virginia. I like all of these picks. Um, I went four for five um, with my personal ballot. I also had Butler, Cunningham, Reeves, and Culver on mine, but I did decide to switch out Mac McClung and Davion Mitchell. I thought that just the way that Mac McClung impacted the game offensively for Texas Tech earned him the nod in my eyes. Emery, what does your ballot look like compared to the coaches? Yeah, I've got a pretty similar ballot. I actually went three for five on this one. And I had my my team, obviously, I had the two Baylor guards. I had Jared Butler and Davion Mitchell. I'm obviously very high on Davion, Davion Mitchell as a point of attack defender. And I also think his off- offensive efficiency was incredible. And then I had Cade Cunningham and Deuce McBride as my second duo. And I think I kind of explained with both of them. Obviously, Cade's overall impact on Oklahoma State was tremendous and probably the most talented player in the conference. And McBride really stepping up as a leader and an outstanding offensive and defensive option for that West Virginia team. I personally thought he was more impactful than Derek Culver this year. Um, So that was kind of why I went with him. And then my last pick was David McCormick. I really think it's close between him and Culver. But I kind of value how McCormick turned into a more efficient offensive weapon down the stretch. And I also think uh, one of the things that really kind of gets me with Derek Culver, and it takes nothing away from him as an overall player, but, I mean, he kind of has a little bit of the Andre Drummond syndrome, I feel like, where he's a really good rebounder and really good at generating looks on offense, but he's maybe not the most efficient finisher. I think it's hard to really recognize a player like that with an with a first team honor. And it has nothing to do with how I think of him going forward, but just that I think like for me, McCormick was the more efficient option. He really kind of showed more adaptation ability improvement throughout the year. And I just think that for my last pick, that was kind of where I ended up going with. Yeah, I almost went small. I was very, very close to going small and subbing Derek Culver with Deuce McBride. Um, Just ended up not doing it, but I like what you said, comparing him to Drummond. Um, Hopefully none of my beloved Maverick fans are listening to this and hear me criticizing Andre Drummond, or else I will be put in Mavs Twitter prison. Um, But David McCormick definitely has a spot on that team as well. Um, But for me, at least, uh, I just really value the this year and so even as I awarded David McCormick onto my most improved player award he's actually not even on my second team so for the coach's second team it was Marcus Garrett of Kansas David McCormick of Kansas Andrew Jones of Texas Mac McClung of Texas Tech and Miles McBride I actually only had two of five picks here I had Miles McBride. Obviously, he's definitely deserving of the second team, if not higher. And then I did have Andrew Jones as well. Um, Obviously, just a great story in college basketball and a guy who's really easy to root for, but somebody that also played some phenomenal basketball this season, as we saw firsthand in Austin. And then for my other three picks, I do have Davion Mitchell, um, just because he was on that. Um, he definitely deserves to be on one of the top two teams for me just because of the impact that he has on both ends of the court. Just a phenomenal player. And then for my other different pick, I have Rasir Bolton from Iowa State. I mean, 
this Iowa State team, I've already said it once, but they were so bad this year and just so many holes that could not be fixed. I mean, their wins were against Jackson State and Arkansas Pine Bluff, and that was it. Those were the only two wins that they had this entire season. So they were a really bad team. But I really like what Rasir Bolton has in his game. I mean, he led the team in points, rebounds, assists, and steals. So just a phenomenal, well-rounded player. And I mean, his performance without without it, this Iowa State team might have gone completely winless, and that would have been really ugly. And then for my last pick, I actually bumped Macy Oteague up to my second team, where he was awarded the coach's third team. Maybe it's a little bit of recency bias um, from him shooting the lights out in Waco. But I do think that he was just a really reliable weapon for Baylor throughout the season. Probably not the All-American level that guys like uh, Davion Mitchell and Jared Butler are at. But I just think he had a really good impact um, for this team and filled some holes for them. So I'm wondering if any of those guys made your second team and how yours looks compared to the coaches. All right, well... I'll go ahead and get the one similarity out of the way. I decided to go with Macy Oteague as one of my second team options as well. Again, I think that his overall efficiency is very impressive. Um, I mean, Tech Tech had a big part of that and single-handedly raising his three-point efficiency by like 5%. But even then, his offensive rating is incredible. He was a He's a really good off-ball defender that I don't think people realize because Butler and Mitchell are, take up so much of the responsibility as on-ball guys. Um, and I mean, I think it's just, even though like it feels a little bit weird to reward three Baylor guards in the first two teams, I think that Macy Oteague certainly is deserving of that honor. Um, and I guess I should go to my other guys. I have Austin Reeves from... The first team, I still think Reeves had a great year. Um, Kind of the two things that stand out for me are the three-point shot wasn't quite following, and he missed a couple games from COVID. And, I mean, I'll I'll be honest, I think, like, outside of looking at numbers, I actually have Davion Harmon as maybe slightly a better player going forward than Reeves. Um, So I guess there's kind of a little little bit of personal bias there. Regardless, Reese had an exceptional year kind of leading that Oklahoma team, taking on more of the primary ball handler responsibilities and kind of looking looking to become really a great lead initiator as a scorer. And that's something that I think got appropriately rewarded by the coaches. And I think the other guys that I have on the team are Mac McClung, as you've stated, second leading scorer in the Big 12. In my opinion, his ability to turn into an efficient lead initiator for Tech was something that was really impressive. It kind of got Tech through a few games where they struggled on the defensive end. And, I mean, his overall importance to the squad was really second to none. I can't – I mean, I can't think of someone that would be more deserving from the lead initiator and kind of the primary ball handler standpoint than McClung on the second team. And, I mean, obviously – my biggest deal with McClung kind of comes down to I have a hard time putting someone first team when you look at their impact on the stretch. And in most of the last eight games of the season, he had a negative BPN and that kind of diminishes some of my view, but I think overall still an exceptional year by Mac. And I think deserving of a second team slot. And then my other two guys, I actually have Matt Coleman from Texas as opposed to Andrew Jones. Obviously, Jones is a really good story. 
Um, I just value Coleman's ability to kind of lead that team and the fact he shot upwards of 56% from the two-point range. His assist rating was good. You can count on him to be a very productive and efficient defender, doesn't make a lot of mistakes. And I think that Coleman, out of their trio of guards of Ramey, Coleman, and Jones, I think Coleman kind of had the largest impact. And then for my last guy, I did have Derek Culver on this team. And again, like I said, I think personally, the efficiency concerns that I have with him are kind of weigh kind of heavily on my opinion. But I do think that his sheer volume and his ability kind of run the offense at times for West Virginia. Those are things that like you have to reward when you look at these conference teams. I had Culver on my second team, even though I'm maybe not so high on him as a player. I do think that it was an effort that was worthy of second team nomination. I like those picks. I don't think there are any outrageous snubs or guys that are too high. I think those are definitely all good selections. So now time for our final all big 12 team. It was the third team. This team had six guys on it uh, because I believe two of them tied in voting and the awardees were Macy Oteague of Baylor, Rasir Bolton of Iowa state, R.J. Nimhard of TCU, Matt Coleman of Texas, Courtney Ramey of Texas, and Terrence Shannon Jr. of Texas Tech. I had three of the five, so I did get R.J. Nimhard. I did think that he struggled with efficiency at times this season, but still it's hard to think about what this TCU team would look like without him. Also had Terrence Shannon Jr. Really considered him putting him on the second team, but I do think that that third team for him uh, is definitely like a not outrageous snub um just given that you know maybe his scoring wasn't as productive as some other guys on the second team and then I also had Matt Coleman um along with the coaches I know you had him on your second team I think that's a good pick Coleman's a really good player um and then for the two guys that aren't on here I had Jalen Coleman lands of Iowa State obviously talked about his impact a little bit early a little bit earlier when we were talking about newcomers, but I do think that Coleman Lance, he just filled a really good role for this Iowa State team and helped pick up slack um, when the rest of the team was trying to be the worst Power 5 roster in the conference. And then I had David McCormick, um, who was on the coach's second team, who you had on your first team. Um, but I just think that, for me personally, a guy I'm really high on. I mean, McCormick, I think he might end up being the better draft prospect compared to Azubuki and maybe like maybe Doak shouldn't have been selected in the first round. I can say that like pretty confidently that I definitely wouldn't have picked him in the first round. Um, But by the time that, you know, McCormick does enter his name into the draft, I believe he already announced that he's staying at Kansas for another year. McCormick has a chance to turn himself into a prospect. So who are your final five all big 12 players? Well, I actually went with six to simulate the fact that the big 12 conference was Decisive, but I will I will have five because I'd kind of plan for that um, big deal. So first one being Andrew Jones, who was on the actual second team. I mean, again, great story. I think the main thing with Jones during conference season was that maybe his shot kind of escaped him at times, and I mean he only shot thirty five percent from three, which considering he's someone that primarily revolves around off ball looks at this point in, in his career kind of limits how you can view him in terms of overall efficiency, but still nonetheless an impressive year and kind of it was great to see him get back to an all big 12 level player. Um, beyond that, I actually had 
Courtney Ramey as my second pick for the All Big 12 team. And again, another guy that was on the actual third team. But I think Ramey, again, lethal shooter, kind of more of a ball handler than what we saw from Jones. The biggest knock against Courtney Ramey for me um, kind of goes in line with something similar to Kyler Edwards, which we'll get into in a second is his inability to finish from the two-point line and the fact that he could get a little bit reckless at times, especially um, whether it be kind of getting chippy in games or just making kind of process-based mistakes, get, having turnovers and whatnot. And then my third selection is actually one that may surprise some people. I, but I have Mark Vidal on my team. I think a lot of that comes down to just his sheer defensive impact and the fact that he was really kind of the glue guy for – Baylor, and I'm not a huge fan of glue guy in terms of using it as like a term to describe basketball players because I think a lot of times those are really tangible impacts that you can see within the game that guys that are so-called glue guys make. And I think kind of sometimes it downplays their actual impact. But Vital someone that really kind of takes that to heart. I mean, he does a lot of the little things. Again, setting up teammates in the right position, switching on to guys that you wouldn't think that he'd be capable of switching on to playing with 100% effort, really kind of being that hustle guy. And even beyond the hustle, just being a really smart, intelligent team defender. That's something that the stat sheet absolutely wouldn't reflect, but I have vital on my third team for that reason. And the last two guys, I have Karen Shannon, just like in real life. I think Shannon's, Shannon's production, again, I always wonder maybe what could have happened if he wasn't dealing with an ankle injury throughout the year. But I do think that his overall impact over the course of the year, you could make the argument that he was the most impactful player for Tech and that when he played well, Tech usually won. When he didn't play well, they oftentimes struggled on the offensive end. And, I mean, I, I think that even with the ankle issues and some of the inconsistencies, he was so worthy of being on that third team. Like you, I debated him, having him on the second team, but I do think kind of having a little bit of the scoring and consistency kind of limits him. And then my final pick for the third team that is actually on the team is Kyler Edwards. I know maybe sold it on the bias then, but I do think Edwards did so many of the little things for Tech this year. And, I mean, you look at leading the team in assists, he was very consistent in terms of his defensive effort, oftentimes taking on the best assignment for the opposing team. You look at the fact that he racked up nearly steal a game and over half a block a game as a guard, which is very impressive. And... Then you look at the fact that his three-point shooting over the course of conference play really evolved to the point where he ended the conference season shooting close to 46% from three, which is mind-boggling considering he got it started with the 0-5 performance versus Kansas. I mean, I just think Edwards, if you look purely at the stats, you could find a couple of guys, such as maybe a Nigel Pack or Davion Harmon that would be more worthy or, or Zier Bolton. But, I mean, I had to put Edwards on here just because I feel like for Tech, I see him as one of the two or three most impactful players. And I think it's kind of consistent, not, not to say he's anywhere near the player that Cade Cunningham is, but the impact he's, he has on the team, is kind of similar to Cade in the sense that like so much of what he does is through his intangible understanding and kind of being right place, setting up teammates, all that kind of stuff that doesn't necessarily get reflected in the stat sheet. And I wanted to give one final shout out because like the coaches, I had a little bit of indecisiveness and had what I consider to be a tie. Obviously, those were my main five, but my sixth guy that I had listed here was Nigel Pack. Just want to shout him out because I do think that Pack's ability to take on the primary ball handler role at times for that Kansas State team 
was really impressive. And you mentioned Razier Bolton earlier. And while I do think Razier Bolton's worthy of recognition, I certainly don't have an issue with that pick. I also think Pack's ability to still be close to a neutral player on the defensive end while also taking off taking on a lot of the playmaking responsibilities for Kansas State was very impressive this year. And I think that between him and Mike McGrill, who was an honorable mention, I, sh I think Pack was a better player and definitely worthy of at least consideration for the third team. If I was smart enough to realize that I probably should have picked a sixth player, I probably would have been between Vital and Edwards as well. I mean, Mark Vital is so important to this Baylor team. And it will continue to get lost on people because they have so many talented front court players or back court players, rather. I always mix those two up. But Vital is really what just kind of holds them together. I mean, he played phenomenal in that game against Tech. And, and like, no one will remember it because a dude shot 10 threes and, or shot 12 threes and made 10 of them. But I mean, Mark Vital was a huge part of that game, crashing the offensive glass defense. He's a great player. And I probably would have leaned his way. Although I am with you in that Kyler Edwards, man, we're going to do some postseason content where we just dig deep into these guys and we really evaluate their seasons. But I'm telling you, man, this season by Kyler Edwards would continue to be one of the most undervalued seasons in recent Texas Tech basketball history. Just in terms of sheer production and what he did for this team, man, it is crazy. I know that you and I are good friends with our buddy R.C. Maxfield over there at Red Raider Sports. Um, he had a poll that kind of just put out Kyler Edwards' stat line and said, you know, if I told you that this is what he would finish at the end of the season, would you be happy with it? And it was like 50-50 yes, no, whenever I checked it earlier. It may be worse now. And I just can't even begin to describe how impactful I think Kyler is for this team. Um, and that, man, just on the defensive end, grabbing his block numbers were insane this season. Also had plenty of steals. Really kept Tech in the game against Oklahoma State by the way he defended Cade. This is not a time for the soapbox as this episode is already running long. But I promise you, this offseason, we may just have to dedicate a whole episode to Kyler Edwards. Because I know you and I are both very passionate about uh, his season and what he did. So it's time for our final team before we give you a brief preview of the Big 12 tournament we'll try and make this quick um so the all defensive team it was five guys as all the other teams it was jared butler of baylor i mean one of the highest steal rates in the country makes sense davion mitchell of baylor mark vital of baylor marcus garrett of kansas and gabe osaboyan of west virginia i had two of the five that the coaches nominated i also had davion mitchell on there i mean just one of the best on ball defenders in the country it's not fair to leave him off the list and then mark vital just in terms of what he I mean, he does it all. He I don't like comparing players to Draymond Green at all because Draymond Green's value in like for the Warriors continues to be underrated and like kind of used in loose context. But I mean, Mark Vidal, he he just makes it all work. And then for my three other guys, I did have Kevin McCuller. Um, obviously, he was one of my uh, nominations for all-defensive player, so obviously he's going to make the all-defensive team. Then I had Kate Cunningham, kind of the same reasoning there. Then for my last pick, I decided to get a little bit spicy and just kind of try and build this team like they were actually playing. And so I did nominate Kevin Samuel just to give myself a shot blocker, but Samuel did have some bad instances on defense this season, uh, just not being able to stay out of foul trouble. And also, I mean, he's a big dude. He doesn't move very well, and he gets played off the floor at times. But 
he does give my team a real chance to win a five-on-five match. YMCA. Emery, who do you have as your five defensive guys before we preview the Big 12 tournament? I actually was going to go with a completely chalk pick of having the exact same five as the actual team because I think that that in in a vacuum you could seriously argue that. Um, but I'm going to make an amendment here because of the way that you kind of constructed your team. And I think this team would have a decent shot of playing really well and really kind of shutting everyone down on the defensive side of the court if if you were to play it in real life. So I'm going to sub out Marcus Garrett from the original team, and I'm going to put Cade Cunningham in his place. And my reasoning for that is I think that Cade is probably the more versatile overall team defender, and I'd really kind of be interested to see how a lineup of him and Gabriel Saboyan would be able to do on the wings, having two really positive on-ball defenders in Jared Butler and Davion Mitchell. So that would give me my final lineup of Mitchell, Butler, Mark Vidal, Gabriel Savoyan, and then Cade Cunningham. So, I mean, I think you could go a number of different ways, but I feel like that lineup would be a great mix of great on-ball defenders, great off-ball defenders, really instinctive guys, and pretty much everything in between. I like those picks. And also, if you would have told me before the season that neither of us would have Marcus Garrett on our all-defensive teams, I would just be so confused as to what happened this season. But obviously underperformed just a tad bit from what we saw last season. All right, it's time to really quickly preview this Big 12 tournament. Um, Obviously, Texas Tech will begin play on Thursday. They will play the Texas Longhorns for the third time this season. And Texas Tech did sweep the regular season series. And so, Emory, I'm interested to hear the response from the fan base has almost been like they wanted to play West Virginia in this game because there's this theory that a team three times is a really difficult thing to do. So do you think that this is some strange phenomena, or do you think that Tech has a good chance to win this game and have some sort of relative success in the Big 12 tournament for the first time in forever? So I'm going to shout out um, Jordan Sperber, who has been doing kind of some great tracking stuff. Um, on a variety of different sites for years. Um, you can follow him at HoopVision68 on Twitter. There's a lot of the breakdowns on film and whatnot. But he has this graphic that he's kept up with for years about how hard is it to beat a team three times in a row. And every single year, dating back to 2010, when I was a grandchild of eight years old, seven years at the time of the tournament, Teams have won at least 60% of the time in their third matchup, provided that they swept the original two matchups in the series over 60, over 60% of the time in every single season. And the average win percentage for a team that has played, that has won twice against the same team in their third matchup is 71%. So to be honest with you, that theory would be, to me, I find to be a little bit of a myth. I think that better teams, if a team sweeps someone two times based off of being a better team, they're probably going to win the third matchup. With that said, though, I do think that Texas is a unique matchup because both games really could have gone either way, especially the one down in Austin. Um, Tech really kind of had to pull that one out at the real at the very end of the game, really trailed for most of the game. But I'm personally not worried about it because of the whole they play three times a year type of deal because I think 
in the Big 12, everyone has so much film on everyone. It really doesn't matter how many times you play. You're going to get the same type of game a lot of the time. And you might see variance. You might see a team that lost two games go on and win the third in a dominant fashion. But I don't think that them playing the third time is the reason that it happens. I think that it's mainly down to, again, things that happen in basketball. If you have two great shooting nights against a team, there's a decent chance that the third night might not be quite as well. So I'm not, I personally like the matchup against Texas more than I like the West Virginia matchup. And I definitely would favor Tech's chances. I mean, obviously it's going to be a tough matchup, but I, I mean, I'm not worried at all about the whole third time of this or the third matchup is going to be resulting in a loss because it's impossible to win three times in the Big 12. Well, there you go. You heard it straight from the stat wizard. That is not impossible to beat a team three times. And I actually would probably, like, if I were Texas Tech, I would probably want to play Texas rather than West Virginia. Because, I mean, that West Virginia team, it just feels like they're going to click at the right time. And, I mean, we saw some really bad lapses from Texas down the stretch, even in terms of just team chemistry issues. Um, But, I mean, it's a winnable game for Tech, but it's also a losable game for Tech. Uh, It could really go either way. Again, that game is on Thursday. I believe tip-off is scheduled for 8.30 in Kansas City. So that'll be a fun one. Um, Obviously, we're both excited for the Big 12 tournament to get underway. But just before we close this out, I'm interested to hear what you think um, the importance of Tech succeeding or not succeeding in this tournament would be. Right now, it looks like there'll be a five seed come Sunday, which is obviously when Selection Sunday is. Uh, But that really could depend on what they do in the tournament. I mean, if you're talking about a Texas Tech team that walks out of Kansas City with a win against Texas, and then if they win that game, they'd advance uh, against Kansas, considering Kansas beats the winner of Oklahoma-Iowa State. So Tech could walk out with two wins over top five seeds, top six seeds. I mean, that's an impressive resume that could potentially cause them to jump. Um, But also, you know, a loss against Texas, it probably wouldn't bump them. I think they'd probably stay at five. So I'm interested to hear what you think the importance of the tournament is. I'm honestly not overly concerned about the seeding because I feel like anything, anything outside of a win in like winning the conference tournament championship and beating Baylor, presumably if Baylor gets all the way there. And I can't see that having more than maybe a one line change in the tournament from a positive perspective, as in I can't see tech getting above the four, the fringes of the four line, unless something drastic happens, they beat Baylor and probably get some help around the country. And I'm with you. I think a loss to Texas doesn't necessarily hurt because, I mean, you know, around this time of year with the conference tournaments, you're going to have teams that lose bad games. You're going to have teams that win kind of upset games, and that's going to change the dynamic of the bracket. And I think Tech is in a good spot, and a loss to Texas is still a quad 1A loss. It's not the end of the world. And, I mean, at worst, you're talking about maybe they move back a slot or two. The one thing I will say is if I am Tech, the one thing I do not want to do is fall to the sixth line because, to me, the 11 line this year is going to be especially dangerous because you have a team like Michigan State that has really kind of caught fire late in the year. And I'll tell you, 
I would literally probably rather face any of the teams that are on the seven or the eight line this year than have to face Michigan State. And I also think that there's a couple of other teams out there that are maybe not quite as set in terms of the tournament. A team like Georgia Tech, for instance, is probably kind of closer to the fringes than people might think. And they're really dangerous in my opinion. So like, I don't want to get down to the sixth seed in general, because I think that that's kind of where you go from the high level mid-major that's maybe the 12th seed to a really dangerous team that's caught fire late at the 11 mark this year. Um, yeah, for this tournament, I can't see it impacting the resume too much outside of an egregious example, like if they went through and beat Baylor, for instance. Um, but it would be nice for the team perspective to end on a high note to finally win a game that isn't like an outright just huge favorite game for them in Kansas City would be impressive. And I think that kind of putting to rest the notion that Chris Beard doesn't care about the Big 12 tournament would be another favorable aspect of being able to beat Texas and maybe even beat Kansas in this one. Yeah, and you can consider me definitely not uh going to be turning down, hanging a banner um, from winning the Big 12 championship in Kansas City. Obviously, that regular season title carries a little bit more grit and a little more prestige in my eyes. But hey, winning the tournament's a big deal too. And I mean, for Tech to do it, they'd have to go through three really good teams, um, considering that some crazy variance doesn't just happen. Um, So we really appreciate you tuning into this episode. I know it was a long one. Um, But I do think that we had some fun stuff to cover, obviously awarding our Big 12 Player of the Year and stuff like that. The next time that we come at you, it will likely be right before the NCAA tournament begins. Unless Tech does something crazy in the Big 12 tournament and advances to like the championship. And then we'll probably do a brief preview on that and just kind of recap their performance so far. But we'll get back to you after Selection Sunday. I promise you're going to want to stay tuned during the tournament we will bring you previews and recaps of each game um, as long as tech continues to make a run Um, we're really committed to that and we're really committed to bringing you some really good coverage throughout the tournament Um, so we'll have lots of good stuff then Um, but again thank you for tuning into this episode Uh, if you could leave us a review wherever you listen wherever you listen it does help us out a lot the last episode seemed to do pretty well so i'm glad that you all are liking the long ones emory is there anything else you want to say before we get out of here well i'd like to brag on my co-host a little bit here congrats to ryan on the summer gig that he received with the new york knicks um as the second host on this podcast i can say that being able to do a podcast like this where we can really get to discuss texas tech basketball is something that i've really enjoyed and i appreciate everyone that's been able to support us whether it be leaving a review or just simply listening to the podcast and sounding off on what we we may say our hot takes or whatnot i'm excited to see kind of how this evolves going forward so thank you guys Thank you for your congratulations, and thank you to everyone else um, that sent me kind words over the week. It was greatly appreciated. It did make me feel super grateful, and I'm excited for the opportunity uh, to get to work at the Mecca. Um, so it's a super exciting opportunity, and I 
really do appreciate everyone that reached out. And we do appreciate you, the listeners, for making this possible. Me and Emery and I have been friends for over a year now, and we just like talking to tech hoops. And so we're glad that we're able to record it and have people that actually think it's something valuable to listen to. So thank you again. This has been Ryan Manville and Emery Lida, and we will catch you right before the NCAA tournament.